Welcome to Episode 3 of The Teacher's Lift, and thanks for listening. In this episode, our hosts, Phil and Aditi, will be talking to Darren Harbutt. Darren works at the Polytechnic here in Hong Kong, and without a doubt, he's one of the most passionate teachers that I know. In this episode, we get to hear how Darren is supporting teachers through this difficult period here in Hong Kong, as well as getting his insights into assessment integrity, where we can learn about efforts underway to help us adapt to the new e-learning environment that we've been forced to adopt overnight. And now I'll leave you with Phil and Aditi as they talk to Darren. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. I'd love to introduce, um, so today we have Darren Harbert speaking to us about e-pedagogies, blended learnings, and his project titled BOAT, Blended and Online Teaching and Learning. He's currently a Senior Educational Development Officer at PolyU, and he has also worked at CityU as an Educational Development Officer and at Hong Kong U as an instructional designer. So he has a wealth of information and knowledge in this area. And we are eager and ready to talk to him in more detail. Good afternoon, my pleasure, how are you? We are doing very well and very excited to meet you today. Excellent. So um, is there anything you're working on at the moment that you would like to talk about and share with the audiences? Yeah, we're just getting going on a project at the moment, which is looking at e-assessment um, across PolyU, and hopefully we're going to turn this into a bit of a collaborative investigation as well and get some results at the end. Um, this has been something that's been bubbling under for quite a while, looking at e-assessment. I mean, we promote e-learning, mm-hmm. and e-assessment is an integral part of that, but it's a, a more easily ignored part. I think it's it's harder to do e-assessment than it is e-learning, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and obviously this has been prompted by the campus closure at the moment, but it's, it's been bubbling away for a long while. So if you like, this is the, the ideal opportunity. So apart from all the support work that we're providing at the moment, which I'll get on to, um, mm-hmm. most of my time is spent thinking about e-assessment and uh, getting a project proposal together to investigate that. This is very interesting because I remember the time I was at PolyU, I think you were doing a DDG grant on uh, grading as well. That's right. Yeah. So are you kind of linking grading and assessment together at this time? Um, We are linking grading and assessment together. I think more importantly, we're trying to link academic academic integrity and assessment together. We've been doing individual, we've been doing preliminary trials into, into various tools and the tools are the tools. They have their pros, they have their cons, they have their individual affordances, but the whole academic integrity issue is 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 far harder to deal with so could you tell us a little bit more about academic integrity and um and academic conduct do you mean things like plagiarism or could you elaborate on that a bit please we mean play i mean plagiarism but i think more than plagiarism it's just trying to ensure that the person doing the test is the person that you think it is um which with any closed book assessment that's done away from the invigilator's eye is always a problem and with e-learning, it's obviously the problem is first and foremost, I think, in teachers' minds. So we did a demonstration of a of an of an online proctoring tool. We got some teachers on board to have a look at it during a workshop or sh- or sharing session, 
everybody was fascinated by the technology because it attempts to address that problem. There's actually a camera there and you show your ID to the camera and then you sit there and do the test. Okay. So that cures one of the potential do you cure a problem that solves one of the potential problems you can actually see that the person doing it is the person that claims to be doing it however tests tests of show yeah i mean it's great it's in in a preliminary stage it's great Hmm. teachers were because as i say it does overcome that problem but teachers are still skeptical as are we about Hmm. is it really going to stop plagiarism okay the camera's above what about if somebody's on their mobile phone underneath the table is that going to trigger the um, the red flag for the proctoring system? So interesting stuff. This is a huge issue. I mean, uh, especially online, we don't know who's taking the course. They could have a student ID. They could easily take a student ID from somebody else. So there are um, these are new problems that are emerging in um, in pedagogy. And Phil's area is assessment as well. So Phil, do you have something to ask uh, so that we can take this discussion further? Um, well, I'm actually very interested in, in Darren's actual position. So uh, you're a senior education development officer. You're in the educational development center at PolyU. I'm just curious at the moment with what's going on with the coronavirus, the fact that there are no face-to-face classes going on. Can you give us a sense of how much more busy you are now than you have been in previous weeks? What's, what's the difference been? Sure. Um, I mean, we're working from home still. Which is a huge difference, obviously. Everything's remote. Um, In the last couple of weeks, I think, after the Hong Kong government's advisory to civil service about some office working going on, people have started to return to the office in dribs and drabs, so I'll be in tomorrow. So for a start, we're still trying to settle in into the remote working setting, obviously. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work I do is similar and carries on even now. So the EDC is separated into various sections. I'm the coordinator of the e-learning section in the EDC. So some of my regular daily work involves e-learning, some of it doesn't. And so before the campus closure, we'd be advising colleagues on projects, advising them with designing their own blended learning. We would be reviewing proposals, supporting PolyU's initiatives in other areas and things like that. So that's what the EDC generally does. Me and my team, we do that as well. I suppose what I'm, what I'm getting at a little bit is, is whether, you know, before there were a few keen teachers who were very sort of keen to work with you. And now what you're finding is that really everybody suddenly, oh, I need help here. What do I do? I need support. And, and you know, are you finding more and more teachers coming to you looking for that kind of support? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, I was going to say on top of the regular stuff we do, we then do two broad sections of support work, which are brand new. So Mm -hmm. one is basically the on-demand support that my team is offering. Mm -hmm. So that's, I was going to say 24-7, but it's it's not quite 24-7. We offer... The regular email. You do, you do sleep then, Darren. You do we have do some time. Sleep. I sleep. sleep, and my colleagues occasionally get a little bit of sleep as well. That's good to know. I thought you e-learning guys were twenty, really twenty-four-seven. It has felt like that at the moment, but no, not <laughs> quite. So the support stuff we do is the regular stuff, emails. Plus, we're having um, WhatsApp. We've set up a WhatsApp line so that folks can contact us via WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. We've set up chat rooms in Collaborate, uh, Blackboard Collaborate Ultra, so we have a live chat room in there where we can go and give support. So all the regular stuff plus WhatsApp support and Collaborate support. Mm. And these are brand new areas and we are giving quite a lot of support in these areas, especially in the time when the teachers weren't teaching. So in that big period when there was campus closure and we were waiting to teach, we quickly put all of our online 
uh, sorry, our face-to-face workshops, we changed them into online mode. So everything we would have done face-to-face, we then converted into an online one-hour mode. So I spoke with the colleagues and everybody did their conversions. And then we were basically offering one or two webinars, one or two live webinars a day we've been doing for the past four weeks. And getting teachers don't have to sign up. They just come along, click click the link, and they join us in a live webinar. So we'll present on a theme, such as online assessment, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll then have like a 20-minute Q&A at the end where teachers can ask us our live questions. So in the past, our workshops get 20 to 30 people face-to-face. During the week when there was no teaching and teachers were preparing, our webinars on Blackboard Ultra and Microsoft Teams, we had 150, 200 people attending our webinars. Wow. So they were, and we repeated them two or three times. So I think we did about 900 people attended our webinars over a two week period, which is much, much more than the uptake we get face to face. A lot more interest, a lot more interest, yeah. Right. Um, so what were the maximum queries about from teachers? What were they most concerned about in these webinars and also uh, on-demand support? Look, management's decisions are going to guide teachers' priorities. Let's, let's be clear on this. So although we have in our mind as like the e-learning practitioners the way that we would like to do things, mm-hmm. we have to be guided by what the general need is if there's any particular panic and we did have some panic because basically management at our university and I believe yours said you're going to be lecturing live online at the times when you normally lecture live face to face Mm -hmm. so teachers had lots of concerns about what technology should we use how should we use it is it going to be available in the mainland can our students access it So So basically, we ran those main sessions. We're using Blackboard Collaborate Ultra, and we're using Microsoft Teams for our live lectures. And for a few days, that was the only thing that teachers were concerned about because that was their first priority. Of course, we had systems of how can you... We also had sessions not purely technical on pedagogically, how can you you convert your learning into into an online setting? But the main worry point for teachers was how are we actually going to use the darn technology? So once they've learned that and they've got it under control, then we can move on to more pedagogically focused things. So I think in summarizing, the technical, the technical how-tos have to come first for the teachers when they're being told a week from now, everybody's going to be watching you for a live lecture. Just, just, just tell us one thing there. I mean, I know, for example, at Hong Kong, you've been using Zoom. I think we've spoken to... Uh, Sean McGinn at, at UST been using Zoom, I think. Now, PolyU, where you're from, the University of Polytechnic University, is not using Zoom, right? Using something else. You're talking about Microsoft. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about what you're using there and how it might differ from what others might be using? Yeah, I mean, Zoom is what it is. It's the flavor of the month due to its IPO, and it's come at the right time now. Everybody loves Zoom, and I've heard very positive things about using Zoom as well. I've only we should have gone in the stock market when we had the chance. Should have done. Might have missed the boat. But. All the other tech IPOs flop, and Zoom goes up. Mm. So I've heard some really good things about Zoom. We never purchased a site license of Zoom, so we have what we have, which was previously Blackboard Collaborate. Um, and we heard about some issues of students um, accessing it in mainland China. And we also therefore offered the option of Microsoft Teams, which are similar video conferencing apps. Mm -hmm. We've heard feedback from all of them. Blackboard Collaborate seems to have the highest learning curve. 
um, Zoom, even though we don't support it, seems to get the most positive feedback from teachers. We don't support it as a university. Certain faculties in PolyU have, have bought licenses and they'll be using it. And PolyU is, of course, currently looking at, do we need Zoom? Do we need other alternatives as well? So as with all universities, we're trying to make use of what we've got in the first instance, because that's already there, while at the same time exploring the functionality of the others. They yeah. seem, I mean, yeah, they all seem to have their pros and cons. You're right. So, uh, yes, of course, teachers have questions about um, the system, the technical know-how. But I want to come back to the issue of grading and assessments and how to make sure that they are fair and that the right students are taking the tests. So could you tell us a little bit more? Could you give us some advice? Because we are still kind of refining these ways and we don't have concrete strategies at the moment. Um, of how to go about it when students are, let's say, giving a presentation or submitting their written tests online, what do we have to be mindful of? I think the student, a student doing a presentation, if you have some live recording of that presentation, that seems to be fine as long as you've got the rubrics in place to, mm -hmm. to grade it successfully and the students are aware of it. I think that then sidesteps any tech problems. If you've got, so I mean, if you're giving a face-to-face -face presentation, presumably you had a decent rubric before, Maybe you need to change it a little bit for the online setting, but I wouldn't have thought too much. So mm. Something like that, as I say, is not particularly an issue for mm. me. Mm. The bigger issues come with continuous assessment in where, whereby maybe someone is always doing the work for the student. Maybe the student's sister is always doing the work or the student's brother is always doing the work, mm. which you could also have in a face-to-face -face setting with coursework. Let's be honest about it. Mm -hmm. So what we're encouraging teachers to do there is what we would encourage teachers to do in a face-to-face -face setting. So have engaged discussion with the students about their own submissions make sure the feedback is personal and engaged and make sure that they're actually responding to it so mm. the idea that if you establish a relationship with the learner throughout the continuous assessment period you're going to know deep down whether it's them or not them that's actually producing the work so we've told teachers do the same thing but online get them to discuss it publicly in forums to have to defend themselves uh -huh. and things like that or if the if you can't do that then had add an extra step that includes some live defense like a viva for a phd something that's recorded where a student has to live respond yeah. to you in some recorded settings so we've been encouraging teachers to do continuous or we are still con um, encouraging teachers to do continuous assessment in that way the yeah. big problem is the closed book exam that you would normally do in a hall Right. Which is what we're looking into proctoring options for. I mean, let me be clear, PolyU does not have a solution. We mm. are starting to study it now. We are now at least more familiar with the tools. Mm. We have a tool which fits quite well into our system that's not too expensive. So we've, we have found at least one online proctoring tool that could work. Which is? Um, this, is just, this is called Respondus Monitor, which comes with a package called Lockdown Browser. So lockdown browser is a way that you can, as the name suggests, you can get students to do tests while locking down other parts of their computer. Mm. Respondus monitor is like the camera, the, the proctored part of it, which involves a camera recording what the students do. So mm. we're at the very early preliminary stages and our IT services department has, has already tested this and said, hmm, maybe the security needs to be beefed up. So we're at the very beginning stages of looking at online proctored exams which I think is somehow going to have to be a solution if not this time in the future. So do you think other universities uh, could adopt the same software the lockdown software that you're talking about because um, I don't think that we we have something in place yet. 
I think all university. I know all universities are currently exploring this. So are the current Hong Kong universities exploring ways to do this? Absolutely, they are. Mm. Um, is a solution going to be in? Is a reliable, fully tested solution going to be in time soon? That that's a little bit above my pay grade. But mm. I know that we we are looking at it. We're definitely exploring it right now. Yeah, I mean, that's very useful advice because I have had issues and I'm sure all teachers can relate to this where we look at a student's text and we know that they could not have produced it, that their English is not good enough to or their cognitive skills are not at that level uh, at which the text is produced. But as you said, um, there are ways for teachers to protect themselves and, um, you know, having these guided sessions, feedback sessions. But again, it's a very time-consuming process to have these sessions with each student or only the suspected ones. Is there a way to, is there a procedure to go about doing this? I suppose only, I mean, I suppose only the suspected ones. Let me explain. Hmm. The online proctoring systems that we're still testing, mm -hmm. um, there appear to be two types. One, so these are very early investigation. And if listeners hear this and think there are many more than two, they can write in and I can learn from them. Mm -hmm. The two main types that we've looked at at the moment are those where the recording anomalies would be passed back to the, the teacher and those where they would be acknowledged by a third party. Let me explain. Hmm. One, Respondus Monitor, it flags up things which it thinks are strange. So it records a one-hour video if it's a one-hour assessment and it doesn't expect the teachers to watch the one-hour video. But if something strange happened during that time, like a student went out of camera shot or there was no activity for a long period of time, the system will flag what it thought was wrong. So then as a teacher, if you had 50 students doing it, you might get five of them that have been flagged. Or it flags kind of like Turn It In does, it, it, like a yellow, a green, and a red light maybe, something like that. Mm. So the teacher then goes and basically checks the ones that supposedly have problems. The other system is where somebody is paid in a third-party organization to actually look at the videos, speed it up, and to manually flag. Mm. So even in those cases, somebody is saying, hey, teacher, go back and look at this. Either the machine or the employee is saying, teacher, look at this one. I think this one's dodgy. I would say that perhaps the teacher just has to use that as a fail-safe device. I mean, if I was setting an online discussion where people were justifying what they'd written in an online assessment, I'm hoping that I could maybe pick up one or two problems out of 50 students and then maybe those would be the ones I would invite to do the the live viva or something like that right personally I would get some sort of flag before I went in and investigated right so we are trying to establish in assessment through assessment whether the student has actually done the assessment or somebody else has done it for them and in doing that doesn't it become more difficult when we are engaging in online teaching because we don't know much about the student. Most of the students don't even um, turn on their, their video cameras. So our knowledge of them is virtually non-existent. In this situation, how do we determine whether they have done the assessment? Well, as I said, the proving you are who you are in, in an assessment is, is, a, is a tricky point. And some form of video proctoring is clearly the only solution to that. But just as at the moment PolyU is saying to its teachers, we advise you to avoid wherever possible end of semester closed book tests because those are difficult to carry out or maybe impossible to carry out online. Mm -hmm. um, teachers are being advised to do more continuous assessment, more things like that, where you can actually let students demonstrate what they do. So my answer would be 
the problem of identity doing a closed book exam notwithstanding mm -hmm. just get students to do tasks and that way you can see those via those tasks you can answer lots of questions are they getting it are they understanding it are they engaged mm. so in a face so if you're talking about the online lecture that teachers are currently giving and te many learners don't want to put their video cameras on I can understand that but it's maybe not necessarily because they don't want to share videos it's because there's no task it's like I've I've seen teachers sometimes say ask me a question and it's like well why would I want to ask you a question if you're not telling me why so just turn the camera on because I want you to turn the camera on I don't think it's a very good idea if you're getting the students engaged right from the beginning by maybe asking a question in the chat box hi everyone welcome to today's lecture um, can you just put in the chat box what you have for breakfast this morning and I'll give a bonus point to whoever whoever had the wildest breakfast so immediately <laughs> students are actually writing in the chat room or something like that there was a reason for them to write. So yeah. I would be giving reasons for students to do these things like speaking up in class or maybe using the video in class. If you mm. let them prepare beforehand, they won't be so averse to sharing things in class. So I think a little bit of learner training there is mm. needed. And learner training doesn't mean I'm going to put the video on now so smile. It means really giving students a lead them into the exercise nicely. So I think that's one way. Mm. I think the other way that we can get student engagement again is from setting tasks mm. so during a live lecture if you're that way inclined you can organize an anonymous poll to check who understands things so actually during the lecture you could say okay now either on the app that I'm using or on your phone with cahoots because we've used that before answer these questions so you can get a little bit of student feedback going on in the class that can either be engaged that can either be testing their engagement or it can actually be testing their knowledge and their understanding so all of my answers are, are along those lines. Make sure that they're actually doing something and then you can use that as a test of their level or understanding. Mm. Multiple choice questions, you could ask them to do a one minute summary of a lecture afterwards and just post that online on a particular tool to try and ascertain whether they've got it or they haven't got it. Things mm. like that. Keep the students busy doing small manageable tasks where they can demonstrate their engagement and knowledge and, and you will learn from that. Yeah, that's very, very useful advice. So it means that teachers need some kind of a training in what kind of tasks and what kind of questions can engage students that we can't force teachers um, or, or that teachers can't force their students to just turn on the camera or can't insist, but rather they have to have the means to get students involved. I think so, yes. And if you need to do some form of practice, the other thing we're trying to encourage teachers to do is to practice with the technology before they use it and to get students to practice with the technology before they use it. So wherever possible, do some kind of dry run with your actual learners. Mm -hmm. And if you say this is a learning experience for both me, the teacher, and you, the student, I think you will get some volunteers. And you can get real student feedback on what's going on. So if I think if learners see that you're publicly testing these tools as well with them, and they have the opportunity to speak up at that point at the testing stage, I think you might get a little bit more buy-in later as well. Yeah, there's fascinating ideas, I think. I've got a, a question for you. I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out, Darren. Not because I think you're a, a mystic, but I think you'll be very well qualified to, to address this. And that's really um, how you see sort of e-learning developing. And I think the reason I'm asking this is you said yourself that there are you know, there were a few people logging on to your webinars and so on beforehand. Then suddenly we have this situation where there's no face-to-face -face teaching. It's all online. Suddenly the numbers get very, very big. I wonder if you see 
you know, for things that you've done in the past, MOOCs, flipped classrooms, blended learning, this kind of thing, whether you see after this crisis period, if we call it that, is finished, whether you think we're going to be seeing more interest in these things, more interest from the sort of senior management of universities in having more of this, whether you think some of these things are going to be a little bit more uh, ingrained in what we do, or do you think it's just going to go back to the way things were before crisis times, if I can call it that? I mean, my short answer is absolutely. Um, my longer answer is that it will go back to a certain extent to as it was before, but there is clearly a before and after, and we're already in the after period, um, clearly so to me. Let, let me. Let me press you a little bit there. Yeah. So what sort of things, where, which areas do you think you're likely to see you know, a bigger change? Is it in, in the area of MOOCs? Is it flipped classrooms? Is it more sort of video production? What do you see potentially happening again this is crystal ball yeah. stuff i know but all of the above maybe with the exception of MOOCs. let me deal with MOOCs first i was uh, i was in the right place at the right time at hong kong u when they started working on MOOCs, and uh, there was some pushback from teachers at the beginning of this is a lot of money and effort to be putting into classes for students who are not even our own students even at the time, I accepted that as an argument, but I realized there was going to be a, a before and after. That it's the genie's out of the bag. If, you're, if, Hong, if the university is making MOOCs, they're making videos, which they're making short bite-sized videos, which are used for chunks of instruction. This is going to filter into our regular daily teaching and learning, and it has. So certain elements of MOOCs have already become common practice across Hong Kong education system, not just universities. And I think without MOOCs, that may not have happened. So what we're seeing now is clearly going to drive live synchronous online lectures. It already has. Um, it's going to drive e-assessment. We're in the process of that one. That one's trickier. But it's certainly already driving electronic forms of continuous assessment and eventually it will drive electronic forms of proctored assessment, assessment what we were discussing before. Will it go back to the peak levels that we had during maximum panic when the online teaching was about to start? No, I think it will. we will reach a new equilibrium. But that equilibrium now cannot avoid online teaching and learning. I mean, I used to make a joke when I was teaching the bulk... I used to make a joke when I was teaching the bulk course when teachers would reply, will I be replaced by a computer? And the answer was, no, you won't. But if you don't use computers in your own teaching, you will be replaced by computers who do use... Com Sorry, you will be replaced by teachers who do use computers. Um, <laughs> so computers are never going to replace teachers, but teachers mm. that use computers are currently replacing teachers that don't use computers. I think the mm. same is going to happen with e-learning. Not mm. everybody's going to be proposing all online all the time. For certain university courses, it 100% is not possible. If you need a practical and there are certain things, it's not going to be 100% online. Mm. But in the past where it may have been 1% online, I think a lot of teachers are going to be pretty happy now with maybe 15 or 20% of it online. They've done a forum discussion. My goodness, it worked. The students liked it. Let's do one of those again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I have to say my own experience being one of the people who are not particularly confident with the with the technology, but having done sort of a student consultation through Zoom where I can share the screen of turn it in and talk and annotate over the top. Actually, I started to think, you know what, this is something that I might consider keeping. You know, when we go back to face to face, not meet in the classroom for the consultation, but to do it like this. So that's just one example, I think, maybe of what you're talking about. But I just, just a follow up question then about about teachers. So if this you know, future that you are um, 
suggesting may you know, occur where there's just more of this that hangs around and stays. What, what sort of advice would you give for teachers? How can they better prepare themselves for that? What should they be um, trying to do, I think, to, to you know, have that new reality in the future? I think the first thing reluctant teachers have got to do is to stop the us and them mindset because I've had training sessions where a teacher's been there barely giving me the time of day because they're on their phone all the time criticizing students who are on the phone all the time and it's like well that's not about teacher or student that's an individual choice and you're not giving me your attention now and you look far too old to be a student so I think teachers have got to look at how they actually live in 2020 how do they live what do they do when do they use technology? They use it all the time. They're all subscribed to Netflix. We're all using technology all the time. None of us buy as many CDs or DVDs as we used to. I occasionally still buy both of those, but not all the time. So I think the first thing is to try and embrace the current situation outside of the classroom. Look at what technology you're already very competent with outside of the classroom, and then realize that the stuff you need to use inside the classroom is just a version of that. And it's more the stuff that centers like mind promote we don't idly promote technology or practices without being able to hang it on a, a useful pedagogical reason and a useful learning outcome. So, so the first thing I'd say, change the us and then mindset, embrace technology the way that you already use it. Mm-hmm. And secondly, don't assume that every tech solution that's being pushed out is purely for the sake of technology. And if you're not comfortable with it, ask Darren or the Darren equivalent, hey, stop focusing on the technology. Tell me why this is pedagogically useful and then I'll deal with it. So I'd say to teachers, keep asking those questions. Ask for the pedagogical utility from the person who's training you. If they give you that, then I think you should be more accepting. You were talking about online learning and how MOOCs have contributed a lot to it and that we we will never go back completely to online learning. So what we at the center have done in Hong Kong U is that we have used a lot of SPOCs, the small private, short private uh, online courses. What do you think um, the prospect of SPOCs are uh, in the future as we move along and um, take this experience with us in the future? Yeah, Spock is a nice manageable way of wrapping up the MOOC technology. Um, and I, I was initially against the term because it was something that I, I've researched and I can only, I find it originated from edX. So for me, it was almost as if they were trying to colonize. First of all, they colonized the one space with the word MOOC and now they're colonizing the other space with the word Spock. So I was initially against them putting a big banner on an online course. So before there were Spocks, there were online courses that were not massive and they were not open. My own master's was an online course. Um, I think Spocks are very, I think the concept of Spocks, if not the name, is super valuable. PolyU has done similar initiatives. We mm. encourage teachers to take risks, for want of a better word, on a, on a smaller scale. Um, I like the, the idea of small private online chunks of learning rather than a small private online course. So I like the idea of maybe a couple of weeks of instruction being moved online or one week of instruction being moved online. Various Mm. universities have experimented with that. Mm. So not looking at the whole course level, just Mm. thinking about what does a week of online education look like? What's the beginning? What's the middle? What's the end? Mm. I think things like that are super valuable and you can get many, many more teachers involved. It's not as scary as trying to get a teacher involved on a MOOC. It doesn't Mm. need so much budget. So Spock or or even smaller equivalents, I think, are the future, yes. 
Thank you very much. Yes, we've been experimenting with SPOCs. And uh, just to give you an example, um, one of our program coordinators um, is saying that the three-hour lessons we have are divided into two and one. So for the one-hour lesson for which students come all the way, she's suggesting that we replace them by a SPOC. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Things, things like that make perfect sense to me. I know um, some other universities have said that 20% um, of class time in a given course has got to be online or something like that. So yeah, these teachers, uh, they're kind of, it's, they're, they're approaching it as a small private week of education online. And I think, again, that works. It's much easier for teachers to manage it. If they've got colleagues in place, like Polly U has, and our instructional designers with whom they can consult and work, I think it's a bit much to expect teachers to be able to do this flying solo. But if you have some online resource and some face-to-face -face resource, a human resource as well as a, an online resource. I think I think teachers can produce some excellent results. Yes, but but dude, won't it kind of shake the foundation of the whole idea of credits and measuring credits? Uh, this is something that we are struggling with at the moment. It will and it does, and at PolyU it has because we've already got um, our we do a micro masters for edX in our school of SHTM, our school of hotel and tourism management has a MicroMasters, which in edX terminology is a bundle of three or more MOOCs. And our MicroMasters actually leads potentially to a credit exchange, potentially. So a, a learner will be able to do that. Theoretically, a learner would then come to PolyU to follow up the real masters that the MicroMasters is associated with, and there would be some kind of credit transfer. And other universities... PolyU is also exploring consortiums. There are other, you know, Hong Kong U is part of a consortium with other MOOC providers so that students can study a little bit of their real education, not their MOOC education, online on a MOOC and get some credits. So this is an exciting new area. And again, this is one of the positive washbacks of MOOCs when teachers said the MOOCs are not for our students, at least at PolyU and I believe other universities now, that's no longer the case. The MOOCs are often partially designed with a blended uh, use with face to f with campus learners in mind. We could talk at length. I think there is so much good information coming out of here. I just wanted to ask, as we start to wrap up, whether um, there's anything we haven't asked you that you think we should have done that you'd like to uh, to talk about. No, actually, I think we've covered everything I really wanted to talk about. I made a few notes before when I received your invitation, and uh, the key areas that I wanted to cover, we we have covered. Jess. Hmm. But as, as we move ahead into the future, what is it, Darren, that you're most excited about in the years to come uh, where pedagogy is going to change because of technology? I think I'm more hoping that the technology might change according to the pedagogy. Um, at the moment, for example, Zoom is the flavor of the month in education because it has been and it and not because and it has been the flavor of the month in business so i'm sure many of the suggestions that were made over the years to zoom about how can business uh, be better dealt with hopefully now that education's getting a bit of a foothold we can start giving feedback to companies like zoom about how we would like their technology to be shaped via our needs so teachers are Currently, teachers are changing their working style, I think, because of the situation and because of the technology available. And that's inevitable. But I don't think that's necessarily the ideal arrangement. So happily, we can get some change going in the opposite direction. Thank you so much, Darren. We had a chance to learn so much from you. I learned about things that I had never imagined about, you know, assessment and, and 
especially academic misconduct or conduct. And I'm sure our audiences are going to enjoy it equally and learn a great deal. Uh, it's time, time for Darren to get back to his 24-7 e-learning support now. We've given him a, an hour of respite. Yeah, this counts, <laughs> as, this counts as a break, doesn't it? So I'll have a, br I'll have a brisk 30-second walk around and then I'll get back onto it. This is your lunchtime. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Darren. Thank you yeah. very much to both of you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Teachers Lift is a collaborative project organized by teachers at the Center for Applied English Studies at the University of Hong Kong, the Center for Language Education at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and the English Language Center at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. If you found this content interesting today, I hope you won't hesitate to click on that subscribe button or come back and visit us again soon at teacherslift.com.